This is Dina Weiss on Parashat Vaira. What is smart is not always what is right. Over the course of the ten plagues, the Torah repeatedly informs us about the condition of Paro's heart, when it is reinforced or strengthened, and when it is hardened. The text also narrates how Paro's heart changes and who is responsible for that change. Sometimes Paro is credited with toughening himself. Vayach bade Paro at libo. Paro reinforced his heart. But sometimes the text attributes this strengthening and hardening to God. Ki ani hichbaradi at libo. For I, God, have reinforced his heart. Indeed, at the very outset, when God first issues Moshe instructions for confronting Paro, God promises Moshe that he will toughen Paro's resolve and harden his heart. Va'ani akshet et leif Paro, velo yishma alechem Paro. I will harden Paro's heart, and Paro will not listen to you. This opens up the possibility that even when the text does not explicitly ascribe the change in Paro's disposition to God's involvement, it can still be traced back to God's will rather than Paro's own. God's taking responsibility in this way inspires the major commentaries to ask how God could have manipulated Paro in this way. Isn't God depriving Paro of his free will by making him stubborn? And if the reason why Paro doesn't free his Jewish slaves is that God has deprived him of his ability to emancipate B'nai Yisrael, how is it fair of God to punish Paro for not letting them go? God is being quite fair. As Paro himself exclaims, God is the righteous and my people and I are to blame. The claim that God is being unjust in manipulating Paro and subjecting him and his people to the plagues on illegitimate grounds makes two unnecessary and incorrect assumptions. First, it assumes that the plagues are coming to Paro and his people on account of Paro's refusal to let God's people go at the time that Moshe asks. However, it is equally, if not more reasonable, to assume that the plagues are coming because Paro had enslaved God's people in the first place and caused them to suffer for the decades prior. Paro is not being indicted on this momentary refusal to emancipate the people, but rather on his history of abuse. Furthermore, we see that God orchestrates Paro's ability to hold on to B'nai Yisrael in order to punish Paro. God explicitly says that he wants Paro to refuse to send the people in order to send the plagues. As he instructs Moshe to tell Paro, God said to Moshe, Come to Paro. For I have reinforced his heart and the heart of his servants in order to extend these signs of mine in his midst. God does not send the plagues on account of Paro's refusal to free the Jews. Rather, God ensures that Paro refuses to free the Jews so that God can display his strength. God does not create a reason to punish Paro. What he helps to create are the conditions necessary to bring the punishment and thereby display his greatness. God sends the plagues as a consequence of Paro's previous behavior, not as a consequence for how he is acting presently. 
God's manipulating of Pyro's will now is akin to placing Pyro's hands in handcuffs so that he can be disciplined. It is not the case that God is moving Pyro's hands or heart to commit a crime. God's acts are merely punitive, and justifiably so. God intends to send harsh retribution, which Pyro more than deserves, regardless of when or even if Pyro releases his people. The Egyptians are going to absorb at least some fraction of God's vengeance, but what is not guaranteed without intervention is that the plagues will descend upon Egypt while B'nai Israel are still there. God wants B'nai Israel to be in Egypt while the plagues come for two reasons. First, the plagues are not only designed to punish and impress Paro, they are also intended to impress the people of Israel. As God continues, and in order that it be told in the ears of your child and grandchild that which I have caused to pass in Egypt and my signs that I have placed in them, and you will know that I am God. If B'nai Israel have already departed for the promised land, and therefore do not see the plagues themselves, then the plagues will have at most served only half of their function. But perhaps more importantly, if God sent the plagues to Pyro after Pyro freed B'nai Israel, then Pyro would not know that the plagues came on account of the Jews' enslavement. He would not have known that the Hebrews' God is the one who sent the plagues. And perhaps worst of all, he might think that the plagues are a consequence not of his having enslaved these people, but on account of his having freed them. The second assumption in the critique of God's having hardened Pharaoh's heart is that this hardening has the effect of making Pyro behave in a way that he was not before and would not be otherwise. It asserts that if God had left Pyro's heart alone, then Pyro would be free to do and therefore would do, the right thing. This understanding relies on a definition of the heart as the seat of the will. A hard heart makes you obstinate and unwilling to do what is right, and a soft heart makes you yielding, impressionable, and good. However, when the Torah describes the Jewish people as obstinate and sinful, it refers to them not as stiff in their hearts, but rather as stiff in their necks. Kishay Oref. Biblical literature often treats the heart as the location of the intellect. As Nachum Sarna writes in his book on Sefer Shemot, exploring Exodus, man's thoughts, his intellectual activity, the cognitive, cognitive, and affective aspects of his personality are all regarded as issuing from the heart. We see the heart as knowing and wise throughout the Torah. And perhaps most beautifully, when God describes the skill and wisdom involved in the crafting of the Mishkan and its furnishings, where he refers to the artisans as chacham leiv, wise-hearted. Consequently, when God or Pyro hardens or reinforces Pyro's heart, what is being strengthened is Pyro's ability to reason. God is primarily influencing his intelligence. He makes Pyro strong of mind 
and encourages him to think that he is being clever and that he is being strategic, which masks that he is in fact merely being cruel. God doesn't make Paro tough so much as he makes him sharp. Paro's cruelty and propensity to sin is not what God is manipulating. God is strengthening Paro's ability to rationalize this behavior. Rationalizing a behavior doesn't necessarily determine whether or not the action will take place, but rather how it should be evaluated, how one thinks about what one has done. This approach to Paro is pointedly mida keneged mida, measure for measure. A deep understanding of Paro and a close reading of his behavior shows that he does not make decisions based on whether they are right or wrong, but based upon whether or not they are wise. Whether or not he is correct, Paro's considerations are entirely strategic, as we see when he launches his initial campaign against the Jewish people. Now a new king arose over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them or they will increase and, in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them, to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pitom and Ramses, for Paro. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites. Paro doesn't think that killing the Israelite male children is a morally responsible choice to make. He is ostensibly aware of the fact that the children he is slaughtering are innocent. Paro isn't evaluating his behavior in moral terms, in terms of what he is justified in doing. He thinks only in terms of what is the most clever course of action. Let us deal shrewdly with them. Hava nitchak Understanding Paro's character and motivation in this way enables us to understand what the process and effect is of hardening Paro's heart. It is not that Paro is making a moral calculus and that God is taking away his ability to do what is right by making him more stubborn. Paro doesn't engage in moral terms at all. Framing Paro's internal debate as to whether or not to send the people as an intellectual one enables us to notice how much mental labor Paro is doing in order to convince himself to hold on to the people. The first thing that Paro does when he is confronted with Moshe's power is to call his wise men and magicians. When he sees that they can replicate the first plagues, he decides not to free the Jews. 
Rashbam explains that when Pyro's heart is hardened, it is to say that Aaron also did his miracle through magic. The effect of Pyro's hardened heart is that he rationalizes away the plague's significance. He claims that what Aaron is doing is indistinguishable from what his magicians are doing. And it is this unwillingness to recognize the power of God through the plagues that requires God to bring them again and again. It is also clear from a close reading of the text that the hardening of Pyro's heart does not have the effect of preventing him from sending the people away. He actually relents and sends them away repeatedly. What his hard heart does is make him retract his decision. He talks himself out of the choice that he has made. The first time we see this is when he asks Moshe to pray for the removal of the frogs and claims that he'll send the people once the frogs are gone. But he does not keep his promise. Rather, Vayar paro ki et libo velo shama alehem kasher diber hashem. Paro saw that there was some reprieve and he reinforced his heart and did not listen to them, like God said. The pa- this pattern repeats throughout the plagues, with Paro reversing his promise to send the people after the frogs, the wild animals, the hail, and the locusts, and of course, running after the people after he frees them after the death of the firstborn. We see that in fact, Paro relents after half of the plagues. He keeps on changing his mind. Yet, he retracts his promises to let the people go because he sees that his magicians can imitate the plague or that Moshe can be talked into praying them away. Paro isn't being manipulated. If anything, he is being manipulative. He begs Moshe to take away the plague and as soon as he gets a reprieve, he denies his own word. If Paro were just stubborn, he would say, bring me your worst, and I don't care about the consequences. But he does not stand his ground. He cowers and he gives in. He has the free will to send the people, which he exercises repeatedly. But then he changes his mind. When the Torah demonstrates that Paro isn't freeing his slaves on account of a hardened heart, it does so in order to show us the power of rationalization. The repetition of the same dynamic, plague after plague, shows that despite how overwhelmingly wrong it is and how damaging it is to his own country, Paro is always able to convince himself anew to re-enslave the people. The re-hardening of the heart is a natural recreation of the conditions of his original sin. Paro chooses to do what he thinks is clever over what he knows is right. Because Pyro had initially enslaved the people by doing what he thought was clever over what he knew was right. And perhaps the deeper reason why Pyro doesn't free his slaves is not that he still wants them in captivity. It's that he doesn't want to be seen as having made a mistake. He wants his choices to be vindicated. The lesson of the story of Pyro's heart is that what's good isn't always what seems smart or strategic and that what is in fact most clever isn't always what is right. Often our minds are not the right place to look for moral guidance because they are too sophisticated, too able to convince us to do what is wrong. Our intellects can make us blind to our own evil through the power of rationalization.
This is why the Haggadah opens with telling us that the mitzvah of retelling the story of the Exodus, Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim, is for everyone, even the very wise. Afilu kulanu chachamim, kulanu nivonim, kulanu yodim mitzvah aleinu lishaper Yitziat Mitzrayim. Even if we are all wise, elders, sages who know the Torah, it is our obligation to tell the story of leaving Egypt. For perhaps it is not even the very wise, but especially the very wise, who need to learn the essential lesson of the process of the Exodus and the Ten Plagues. We need to learn that being wise doesn't necessarily make a person good or kind or moral. And unfortunately, we can become too smart for our own good. Wishing you a Shabbat of compassion over cleverness. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to our weekly Divrei Torah. To see more from our archive, please visit hadar.org slash Torah.